Thank you so much for those prayers, Auntie Po. <laughs> yeah, very good morning to all of you and to, do, and to you who are online with us. It's wonderful to be with you all. Um, today, we begin a new sermon series, and it's called Summer Story Time. It's about Bible stories. Everyone loves a story. You might have your favorite Bible story, um, and I have mine. You know, I think um, stories like that for us bring back a lot of memories. Um, and so I'm really very excited about um, this series. And I'm also excited because we have three guest preachers who will be preaching to us over the next three weeks, starting with Joe Kwan next week. Let's pray before we begin. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for stories, for stories in the Bible. They show us who you are. They show us how much you love us. They show us how you work in the world. And we're so thankful that our stories, each individual story here, is part of the great story of yours. So thank you, God. Amen. Okay, so I want to begin by sharing with you a little bit about this reflection that I had when I was in Phuket a few weeks ago. Some of you might know that I was there um, for my vacation. Um, it's because when I was there and reflecting, I was like, ah, you are so amazing, God. It was that reflection that led me to the story that I'll be preaching on today. So, like many people, I love walking on the beach. Who loves walking on the beach? A few. <laughs> um, okay, so I did a lot of that when I was in Phuket, and here is a picture. So, you know, standing there on the beach and looking out to this water, this vast body of water in front of me, you know what I was reminded of? I was reminded of the tsunami in Phuket on Boxing Day in 2004, where many lives were lost. And so I took time there and then to reflect and pray. I tried to imagine. Of course, I cannot imagine, but I did. You know, like, what, was, what was it like when you see these huge, towering waves you know, crash onto, onto the shore? And so anyways, um, and in that process, I became very aware of just how much Life on earth depends on God's ordering of the world. What do I mean by that? Do you remember that in the beginning, in Genesis 1, the world was formless and void and darkness was over the surface. It means there was no order, no structure, there was no system. It could not sustain life. Think of it this way. No boundaries to contain the water means no dry land. No sun means no photosynthesis to give us food and, okay, everybody breathe with me, no oxygen. But God shaped what was formless and dark into the perfect home for us by bringing order out of formless, order out of chaos. See, boundaries were created and we have day and night. The sun knows when to come up, when to go down. The water is pulled back onto the into the dome of the sky and the seas so that we have dry land. 
And so standing there, I began to really appreciate what a wonderful blessing the gift of order is. Without order, without boundaries, the world would be in complete chaos. And chaos is what we see in our story today, the story of Noah's Ark. You know, so in the beginning, you know, when God put everything in place for, for us to live um, a good life, he was happy with it. It was so promising, you know, that he said, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. But a few chapters later, look, God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt. He was going to destroy it. And that's when God told Noah to build the ark. Now, I know that um, I'm guessing that some of you probably, probably have this picture in your mind. You know, I, uh, when I was doing this, I was reminded of the song that I, that I like very much. Um, you might know this. It's called The Animals Went In Two by Two. Hurrah. Hurrah. Yeah. So lovely songs. And, you know, there are so many uh, wonderful memories I have about um, the story of Noah's Ark. I love the big boat filled with cute animals. But today, I would like to introduce to you um, maybe a more grown-up version of the story. And some parts could surprise you. Are you up for that? Yes, I see nods. Okay, so uh, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. I'll encourage you to follow the screen because um, what you have on the bulletin is um, an excerpt. Okay. Now it came about when men began to multiply in the face of the land and the daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Who are the Nephilims? We will find out later. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grief in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out men whom I have created from the face of the land, from men to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Um, sorry, I think. Let me continue here. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. 
for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And the narrative goes on to describe how the ark is to be constructed. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in this story. Okay? It takes up three chapters in Genesis. We can't cover everything today, but what I, hope to do, what I hope to do today is to help you understand and encounter the heart of God behind this event. And we start by asking the very important question, why did God send the flood? So we know from the Bible passage that the earth is corrupt and filled with violence and evil, and God's heart is deeply grieved, but let's dig deeper into what actually happened that would cause the flood to be unleashed. So things started to go downhill from the time when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she took from its fruit and ate. So it was here that humans crossed the first boundary, taking what was forbidden. And from then on, humanity operates on their own terms. And what are those terms? It's called I see, I like, I take. And the unraveling of the first boundary led to the unraveling, unraveling of other boundaries. So Cain did not get what he wanted, and so he took his brother's life, crossing yet another boundary. In God's design of the world, humans care for each other, not take each other's life. And things got bloodier and bloodier, and later on, we have Lamech, who was many times worse than Cain. And the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, is this. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Do you see the parallel here? I see. I like. Now, why is this so serious? Who are these sons of God? Now, these sons of God here refer to fallen angels, fallen spiritual beings, and they cross a major boundary of God's created order by having children with human beings. And these half-human offspring these mutant beings, they are known as Nephilims. They are also called mighty warriors. We know them by the term giants. Do you know a giant, a famous giant in the Bible? Anyone? I see many nods. <laughs> Probably thinking of Goliath. Anyway, these Nephilims brought terror, violence and suffering and death on earth. Blood soaked through the land. You know, these creatures were never meant to exist. What we have here is a rebellion on, on a huge, giant, cosmic, giant scale. The whole earth is like in the process of descending into total chaos. One boundary breaking after another. See, I think of it like this, okay? <laughs> I love watching... 007 type movies. 
And so I always see this lift, you know, it's always in the chase scene. And then you have a lift, and then you have cables holding the lift, right? And then one breaks, it goes pop. Another one breaks, pop, 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 pop. And then you have like one that's hanging on very loosely. Um, of course, in those movies, you have the hero, right, on the lift, and somehow they survive. But what I'm trying to say is, it's like this um, gradual de descending into total chaos, plunging into darkness. You get the idea? So, of course, God grieves over that. It is so different from what he wanted for his creation when he set up home for them. He made the earth into a great place to live. And not only that, God hears the cries of blood-soaked land, the suffering, the death. How not to grieve? You know, I can't help but be reminded of some parents whom I've walked with. Who once welcomed their newborns into the world with joy and anticipation of what lies ahead. And who later been so grieved by their children's self-destructive and sometimes others' destructive behavior that they wish their children had never been born. Not so much out of anger as it is out of anguish and pain because it's so unbearable to watch your children self-destruct. And so here, the self-destruction has gone so far that it's becoming clear that the end is imminent. And that's why God says here, the end of all flesh has come before me. He sees that the end is coming. But then he also says, Behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Why? Why would he do that? You know, oftentimes the judgment of God is letting people experience the consequences of their own actions. It's giving people what they want to indulge in. You don't want boundaries? Okay, I take away the boundaries. God takes back the gift of order in creation. And water is no longer contained in the dome of the sky and in the sea. Water floods the earth once again, like in the beginning. The earth goes back to a state of complete chaos. That's the flood. But you see, God did not leave it at that. He couldn't. There's this Old Testament scholar, his name is John Goldingay. He says these very precious words. Not technical words, but precious words. God is not very good at being tough-minded. Don't you love that? God is not very good at being tough-minded. Hallelujah! Because what hope do we have otherwise? You know, he needed to deal with evil, yes, but he was not going to abandon humanity. He already planned a new start and he found just the right person, Noah, through whom he was going to make that happen. Flood came, flood receded. Creation became ordered once more. Everyone here has a computer or have access to a computer? Have you tried rebooting a computer? So this is like a reboot, you know, or reset when your computer hangs. And God said, I will, do, I will never do that again. I will not take back the gift of order again. And, oops, sorry, this is my fault. 
And while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. This is the created order being restored. Sounds good? So creation got a new start and God promised to never reset that way again. Is it? Is everything well? Are things good? Is it happy ending? No. We have a problem. We have a very, very big problem. You know, this is like saying, okay, the next time your computer hangs, you can't press the reset button. And guess what? The computer is going to hang again. Evil will fill the earth again. Then what? Did the flood really change things? In fact, what really changed after the flood? Okay, so evil has been dealt with, kind of for now, but have people changed? Are people still not, I see, I like, I take, or I covet? You know, when I was preparing for this sermon, you know, I had to mm, sit with this sermon, uh, sit with what I was doing for a while. You know why? Because I was thinking, I see, I like, I take. Um, I was going to come up with a list. And then I had trouble. And the fact that I had trouble is trouble. See, it's easy to think, right? I don't kill. I mean, I don't kill. I don't steal. I'm generally law-abiding. I'm generally nice. I'm basically good. I'm a good person. I joke with um, the first service, you know, because I'm a pastor after all, right? But you know what? I think if you are sitting there thinking, yeah, I see, I like, I take, no, that's not me. You know, let's pause. Let's pause there. I asked God, I had to ask God to show, show me my heart and to help me see. And he did. He showed me stuff. Stuff that I, I wasn't even aware that was in there. You know, even things done with the best of intentions may not be a good thing sometimes. And the thing is, our heart can be so deceitful that we are not always aware of what's really going on inside even when we are seeing, liking, taking, and coveting. So the reset in the story of Noah's Ark gave creation another chance. And it did address evil in some ways, but it did not deal with the root of the problem. What is the root of the problem? The human heart. And God knows. He knows that humans will continue on the path of I see I lie, I take. Can God keep pressing the reset button, you think? It's like, ah, evil is very bad now. Wipe them out, start again. I suppose he could, but would he want to do that? You know how much it grieved him? How much it pained him to have to press that reset button? And let the flood come. So God has to choose a different strategy. Precisely because humans will not change. The only way is to replace the hardware. So there is no need to keep rebooting. 
and it is to give human beings a new heart. But this will come at a great cost to himself. With unspeakable pain and suffering. And he knows that. But what to do? They're his children. He loves them. He will never give up on them. He will never abandon them. He wants to see them flourish in the home that he so carefully crafted for them. Well, and if at all possible, he does not want to give people over to the consequences of their stupid actions. He would rather take that upon himself on the cross. And so God came in the person of Jesus Christ to give us a different type of reset. He gave us his Holy Spirit and a new heart so that we might begin to change from the inside out. He came so that we too might get into the boat. Jesus is your ark. Jesus is your boat who will carry you through the storms of life into life in the new heaven and new earth one day where there is no longer any sea, meaning no longer any chaos. And that is the true happy ending of the story. He invites you to trust him, to have faith in him, to cling on to him, because you're in the boat with the one who was there at the beginning of creation, the one who commands the wind and the sea, the one who stills storms and raging waters, the one who ultimately gave his life for you so you might live. And this is outrageous mercy. This is amazing grace. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for your great love. Sometimes we take for granted. Sometimes we don't know what we are not seeing. Sometimes we get disappointed because we think we are better than we are. And when we get disappointed, we run away from you. We cannot face you. We want to keep a distance from you. But Jesus, you know us through and through. You know all of who we are. You know all of how we are wired. And yet, you say, come. Come join me on this boat. You are safe with me. So thank you, so thank you, Jesus, for, for that invitation. And as we reflect, as the worship team plays on, Jesus, I pray that you will minister to each heart here and each heart online. You know what each person needs. I don't, but you do. If it's clarity we need, show us. If it's blindness that is causing us to stumble, show us. If we don't know where we are seeing and taking, show us. But if we don't know the glory of your mercy and grace, show us.
church, I invite you to spend some time here with Jesus.